Welcome to the Three Wise Men of Divorce, Money, Psych, and Law podcast. Sit down with the California divorce experts, financial divorce consultant Mark Hill, psychologist Scott Weiner, and attorney Sean Weber for a frank and casual conversation about divorce, separation, co-parenting, and the difficult decisions real people like you face during these tough times. We know that if you are looking at divorce or separation, it can be scary and overwhelming. With combined experience of over 70 years in divorce and conflict management, we are here for you and look forward to helping by sharing our unique ideas, thoughts, and perspectives on divorce, separation, and co-parenting. Okay, so we're talking about a poem by Robert Frost. Welcome back. And, and, and welcome back to the show, by the way, those of you that keep listening to us, we're <laughs> grateful that you're out there. And, and we're talking about this poem called Mending Wall by Robert Frost. Have any of you guys read it before? I am not familiar with it, but you've said well, that's that because earlier. you're British and you don't know about this great American. I, I do know about, re- I know about real poets like T.S. Eliot. <laughs> this man is on a level. <laughs> T.S. Eliot. Oh. The Ezra great Pound Robert and, Frost. Ezra, yes. Ezra Pell, yes, I start quoting Bob Dylan songs next. Oh, yeah. That will <laughs> no, no, no. Ezra Pound and T.S. Eliot no, fighting no, in the captain's no, tower. <laughs> What'd you say, Scott? Well, I mean, God, you know, I, I've read Eliot, and I've read Wasteland, and I've read stuff of his. I think Robert Frost is fairly magnificent. Yeah, I mean, I, what's that one? The road diverged in the woods, and I took the one less traveled by. That's the yeah, famous yeah. one. That, that that, that's the one I'm familiar with. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this one is a, a, a similar ilk, and it, it's it. I'm going to set the stage because there's a lot here. And imagine you're in New England, and and you're you're building a fence, and what they meant by a fence was really a stone wall. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and what what people would do that were neighbors, they would come together to mend the fence when it needed repair. And, and one neighbor would stay on their side of the fence and the other neighbor would stay on their side of the fence and they would work together to build this fence. And, and you know, I'll... Uh, mending time. He called it mending time. Yeah. But it's spring mending time. We find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill. And on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go to each the boulders that have fallen to each and some are loaves and some no so nearly balls. We have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game. One on a side. It comes to little more. Those where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine and I'm all apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says... Good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top in each hand, like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me, 
not of woods only in the shade of trees. He'll not go behind his father's saying. And he likes having thought it so well. He says again, good fences make good neighbors. That's about the second half of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's long, but it's a good read. Yeah, it is a good read. And, you know, it's this, uh, it, it's the paradox of um, being close is one thing. Getting along is another thing. And Knowing the boundaries that you both agree on is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking as I was listening to it, um, the old saying, mending fences. You know, when you have a disagreement with someone, you go, I go, I need to go mend fences with that guy. Yes. Meaning I need to get back on good terms with that person. And yes. that's an analogy that, uh, you know, the, the wall gets broken and nobody quite knows where it sets. And then you go back and you go together and you reestablish where that wall is between the two of you and everyone knows the rules going forward. And that applies to our business greatly, if you think about it. Because we're taking two people who have been united in pretty much every respect, and we have to separate them in almost every respect, but still allow them, if they have children, to continue to have interaction at a fairly intimate level. So we are, in a sense, constructing the wall. And, well, they're constructing the wall, but we're, you know, madly coaching them and madly trying to keep the the process as civil as it can be of course it, it never it's never too far from my mind and from yours both of you as we talk as we've spoken the difference between the kind of wall we try to help them build versus the wall that the court will build for them you know? well i mean there's a fence and then there's a berlin wall with bar barbed wire <laughs> right and and yeah. sharpshooters you know, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about um, having a boundary, an understanding of that boundary. Earlier on in the poem, before I started reading there, there's a discussion of the gaps in the wall between the neighbor's, you know, dwellings and, you know, some that'll let the pets through and the dogs will bark across it and things like that. And the kind of wall we wind up engaged in building or helping these people build always has spaces in it. There's spaces through which finances flow. There's spaces through which communications flow about children. There's, <laughs> there's history, there's memories, you know. So it's never a complete, um, like a hermetically sealed wall. It, it, it's never, it's always has seams in it and openings in it. And it may well have to continue to evolve. Yeah, your work you is know, never done. If you think about it, if you divorce with young children, it's, I did that. I, my son was very young when I divorced his mom. And yeah, the reality was rules changed a lot from when he was three years old to when he was 14. You know, I mean, we, I mean, there was no point in me picking him up to drive him to my house 35 minutes away so that he could go up to his room and, you know, take his pizza and not talk to me till I drove him back to school the next morning. It didn't make sense. So we changed the, the child sharing arrangement that we did worked with for years because it made more sense. And I had him a little more on the weekends.
Well, that's the point, isn't it? Like these guys here, this is, it seems like in reading the poem, it's, it's a, it's an annual event that they have to mend the wall. Springtime. Springtime fence mending, you know, and, and so things happen during the winter, you know, there's snow and ice and stuff and things break and there's gaps that form. And, and, you know, when you're going through a divorce, especially when you're co-parenting, it's an ongoing process. There are new challenges that may need different types of boundaries and different types of, yeah, of expectations. You know, I, when I talk to people, I think of uh, I talk to them often about you know we need to set expectations. What are your expectations of one another as co-parents? You know, yeah. we all got really quiet. We're thinking. You brought poetry into this thing. How dare I? Well, it's, I got to get deep here, obviously. A long time since I studied literature. By the way, you know what we called it? English literature. I don't know if you use that term. Over you here. know, I just read an article that said that the American English that we speak is actually closer to the uh, English that was spoken at the time that the colonies were formed. And that's another reason we got rid of you for this arcane kind of behavior. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 still use the rotary R that, that y'all gave up. I've heard the uh, the claim that the English that is spoken in the American antebellum South is really more like the old uh, British parlance. Yeah, I don't know what they did to English in Massachusetts. You know, the first time I met somebody from Massachusetts when I came over here, I met them in Texas and I barely punched the guy. I thought he was making fun of my accent. <laughs> I truly did. It was, uh, it was, I was a younger man. It, we were in a bar, there's, you know, drinking and stuff. And I was really thinking this guy was just making fun of me because the accent seemed so similar to, you know, in, in many ways to the English accent, but it's not uh, exactly it. Well, what I want to know, Mark, is why do you guys put unnecessary R's that aren't there on the ends of words? Like idea. I have an idea. Why, why does that happen? You and know. Marsher. I, <laughs> instead of Marsha, say Marsher. Why, why, why does that happen? Or Brender. <laughs> Potato is all I have to say. <laughs> well, anyway, back to boundaries. <laughs> I mean, people get divorced over this kind of stuff. Yeah, they really do. But, but talking about boundaries, um, what what boundaries are there in a divorce that need well, to be discussed when people? I mean, there's the, we talked about the kids, money. Okay, how money is being spent is is perceived uh, by our industry during marriage as being joint decisions. But we all know they aren't always joint decisions. We know that sometimes spends one will spend money without it, but no one sort of sort of makes a claim about it. But as soon as you start to divorce, then you have to really think in terms of each of the two parties having their own boundaries around money in a way that might not have been the case before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perhaps this this whole process is really about a new wall. And I, I think for anybody listening to this who's contemplating divorce, there's, you know, we, in the trade, we talk about the lever and the levee, the person who really is inaugurating this divorce process versus the other person who may not wish it were so. And it's a form of a declaration um, 
of separateness, a declaration of a wall by one person to another, you know, saying this wall shall be. And, uh, you know, I am, I am hereby declaring. And on one level that is non-negotiable, but the beauty of divorce in a way is that all the rest of it is negotiable. Yes, it is. And, and, um, both sides have an interest, especially if there are children in having this be, um, something that they can both subscribe to at the end and, and engage with as well, opposed to fighting against. That's a very interesting point that you bring up, Scott, that, you know, there's this emotional boundary that gets developed. I mean, there's that moment when a couple is talking to each other and they realize this isn't going to happen anymore. And the sex stops. Yep. Yep. It, it's, and whether it's sexual or not, it is intimacy and it is commitment. And it is, it's like, I hereby deselect you. Yeah. C- Carrie and I were talking about, well, what boundaries do we have? I mean, we're a couple and we're married and do we have boundaries between us? And we decided we don't use the restroom in the same room at the same time. That's our boundary. That's my space. <laughs> right. You know, and but, as long as she's but everything else is pretty open, right? Complete control. Everything's probably fine. <laughs> but everything else is pretty open. But 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 like when you're getting divorced and all of a sudden this person that I like I, I I've seen people like with the sex, that's a thing. Like you're not gonna just you're not gonna see me in a state of undress anymore. I my bedroom is my sacred place now, and you're not gonna just come in here anymore. Mm-hmm. In fact, you're gonna be in the bedroom down the hall. Like sometimes people are cohabiting and we really do have to talk about boundaries when they're cohabiting until they can get into a new place. But there's like a psychological that, that I'm not going to be vulnerable to you anymore. And that can be a hit on the Levy, like you were saying. Yeah. I mean, when you get married, most typically there's, there's this kind of warmth and what, what, has, what has occurred is that people have made a decision to, um, to move toward collective control, collective intimacies, collective discussions. It, it's, it, it turns two individuals into an us. And when divorce comes along, it's sort of a you know, a deconstruction of that us and, you know, people who have become really dependent upon that us status are often terrified. And, and you know, that, that new wall, you know, that says, no, you're, you're not my spouse anymore. You're separate now. And, you know, there's, I mean, we've heard it each of us a hundred times if, if once and not just at work. I, you know, I never wanted to be a divorced person. I never saw myself being a divorced person. That's just, it's almost a stigma for so many people, you know, more common than not in California, I guess right now, but, but many people experience it that way. I I had the case where they were negotiating moments in the bedroom for money in the settlement. It's kind of unusual. (laughs) But she's like for an extra $4,000, I'll let you sleep with me. Wow. Well, I mean, everything I, is negotiable I, 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 in this form. That's my so, point. You know, yeah. Yep. Well, well, okay. So what about money boundaries? So I have a case where um, 
he's like, I, hey, I, I spent this money. This is what we always did. I would take this money and I would spend it. And it was never a problem when we were married. Why is it a problem all of a sudden now? Yep. That's a readjustment, sir, isn't it? Yeah. He's having to learn to adjust. Yep, all of a exactly. sudden, she's not so, just cool with him spending it? money. Yeah. Was he acting? Was he saying that sincerely? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why, why are you upset why when I gave $20,000 to my son? It's fine. It's what I, I always have a did. case right now where I have two individuals, older individuals who have uh, the same income, basically. Um, he made extra on consulting last year and doesn't understand why he spent it on his uh, younger lover, why that's not okay, because that was his money. Why should there be a reimbursement? Because he made more from his consulting business than wife made from yeah. her consulting D business. Didn't I earn that money? Can't I spend it? Exactly. But so then her again, reaction is, well, hang on, dude. Well, Wait actually, the, the, it's... it's I always say we do this work under the shadow of the law. And Mark, when you come to divorce, that's where you go. Mark, are these people still married or are they divorced? They are divorcing. In the process of divorcing. Okay. So that's really the moment, isn't it? Where, 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 the, where there's a fracture or a need for a wall develops when the divorce is fresh. It's starting to happen. I always yes. say the most dangerous time for a couple is the first two months of the, of the understanding that a divorce is happening. Yes. And I don't mean just dangerous physically, although that can happen too. I think there's more likely to be domestic violence in the first month than there is any other time. Because people but are But it's angry. dangerous financially too. But it's dangerous financially. They go people and they pull money out of accounts. They make decisions to buy something before it all goes away. Uh, and that exacerbates the problem of the divorce. And well, then we're putting out fires from the outset. I think it's even more fundamental than that. There is no boundary. There's, it's chaos. There is no yeah. rule. Well, I mean, there are, but they don't know what they are. And there's no understanding of who's supposed to spend money to buy milk, let alone how are we going to pay the mortgage? Yeah. And when when all of the disorder and disorganization of the process of, an, of a present divorce, a change of status occurs, all of a sudden the whole universe is ripe for impulse because people are afraid, people are, you know, <laughs> they're in a condition of emotional upset. And when, when nobody knows what to do, impulses take over. It's like, it's not a matter of making good judgments. It's a matter of comfort seeking and a matter of, you know, retaliation sometimes. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the leave, the leave is very tempted to retaliate against the leave her. And, uh, so. Yeah. It becomes territorial. Yeah. It becomes so being it, on trees. It's kind of a matter of, um, I mean, this is something that we try to deal with in our work and, you know, in trying to collaborate, we, we try to immediately put in place some very civilized structures and, um, you know, help people be comfortable enough, you know, trust the process enough, trust us enough to that, that we can discourage their hurting each other at the beginning. And there's a whole lot of hurting that goes on in the beginning. It's, I mean, think about, you know, I mean, even in, even in our rough cases, it's so much tamer than what we see in litigated, you know, 
Oh yeah. Or the cases, you know, you and I had a case, Scott, yep. where, where they ended up in litigation and it's yep. because they never, they were never able to clarify boundaries at the beginning. That's right. Uh, you know, and I, I, I wonder, I mean, I, <laughs> you and I, you know, tried to, uh, deconstruct that case for ourselves later. Do, what did we do? Did we leave something out? It's really, no, no, it was, uh, we, it wasn't for lack of trying on our part, but no, no, the, the positions that um, the postures and the positions that uh, that that set of parties took uh, was just destined to. Uh, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point. I think is that people entering into an ADR process need to understand that more is required of them than just hiring an attorney and letting an attorney quote handle it all for those that don't know what an adr process is that's alternative dispute resolution my apologies for using jargon thank okay, you for the base- for you thank you for the baseball bat across the forehead i do no i wasn't it. meant that way I was just- no 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 that's what i need I, I'm, I'm, I'm setting a boundary it. with you sir <laughs> well, a, a cricket bat would have been so much flatter across I, the exactly ba- baseball bats kind of just bounce off they're not serious weapons you know <laughs> I didn't mean to derail you. Just you were you were saying some good stuff. I was. What was it? Something about ADR. <laughs> yes, that people when they enter into ADR or alternative dispute resolution, mediation or collaborative, it, you are taking on responsibilities. That's in other right. words, in it, you can totally abrogate your responsibilities by hiring an attorney and saying, you know what, I'm never talking to him or her again. You talk to you got a problem. You call my attorney. Now, it's an expensive way to go, and it's not going to get probably the kind of result you would be pleased with. But nonetheless, you can do that. In alternative dispute resolution, you have to be engaged. You have to show up. You have to do homework. You have to be willing to contribute to the process. You can't just be a bystander. And I think that that's kind of something that we need to, we haven't mentioned on this podcast before. I think it's something that we should make people aware of that there is our responsibilities this is not a free ride i always say i never work harder than my client and often we do we say that all the time but often we do yes yeah i'll meet you halfway it's one thing to say that it's like i i think when we refine that never work harder than i think the the refinement on it is try not to get ahead of your client in the process you know it's it's we're we're willing to work very hard. I don't want there to be any mistake, but but um, you you it, can't want a settlement more than your client wants it. Yeah, we can. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I, I think Sean, we are about to begin one if we begin this process where um, the um, the individuals may have a different sense of what's possible and what they're going to get than than hmm. what's actually going to be. And uh, uh, mediators say something fairly frequently that, you know, when everybody walks out of the room at the end and everybody's a little bit unhappy, I've done my work. Well, you know, there's that line from the poem where he's talking about we're, we're using magic, a spell to make the rocks stay where they're supposed to stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. that ha- I, I, I read that and I thought that is how it is when we're in the conference room and we're mediating a case. Because sometimes we're saying a boundary, but it's a very precarious balance of mm-hmm. interests here. 
that yes. we're and sending. And we've got and to almost, get those last rocks on top to it, complete the course, the, it, the, the case and the wall. And I've even felt myself like, okay, are we all good? Is everything good? Yeah. Are we balanced? Is anything going to fall down? Don't <laughs> move. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but I mean, the, the willingness, though, to work together as, a, as parties to a case, to work together to get that rock to balance where it needs to balance, that's a real important piece. Yes. Yeah, we, we are actually not building the fence. They are. We're, we're, we're the coaches. And, and they are building the fence. They have to – the fence won't make them good neighbors. But if they can be adequately good neighbors, they can build a pretty good fence. And we don't um, care where the yeah. fence goes as long as they like where the fence goes. Exactly. So, so it's, it's going to have to be some work on their part. And if the, we see a brick about to fall down, we're going to tell them about it before it falls. <laughs> like, hey, you know, that's going to fall down. Yeah, that brick there looks a little precarious to me. Uh, I don't know. Can I, we I've talk been around about this, that one? I've been building fences for a while. That one looks a little scary to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. I mean, we, we yeah. will notice. And I always tell people, I ask the questions that you may not know to ask. Because I've been, I, hopefully, I've done quite a few more divorces than my clients have in their lives. <laughs> and I might know when to spot a precarious rock. So, yeah. so there's, there's financial balance, there's psychological balance. I also think there's legal balance. You know, you need boundaries on legalities and there are some legal things that the family code puts in there. But like you said, Mark, it, when you're in an alternative dispute resolution model and you're negotiating this thing for yourself, instead of agreeing to something that a, a person in black robes imposes on you, meaning the judge, you have control of what those boundaries are. You don't have to do what the law says. You can set your own. Well, yes. So long as the other party is willing to agree. Right. It's a joint so, effort, like the, like the two neighbors building the fence. It's going to be a horse deal. It's going to be trading. It's going to be some horse trading. <laughs> horse trading going on. Some horse trading going on there. It's going to be some yeah. to uh, you know. All Don't right. tell put that big rock up over there. <laughs> you know, there's that, we were talking about dialect earlier. There's a word in, in Southern English called it. And it translated, it means all right. Aight. Aight. All right. But yeah, I mean, um, you're in charge of what your ball looks like. You, the meaning the parties. But your wall's going to suck if, if the other person isn't involved in the building process. Yeah, you get half the wall and the other person doesn't care if your half stays up or falls down. Yeah, there's this line, and I let my neighbor know beyond the hill and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. Yeah, and that's, that's our next session on Thursday afternoon. Yes. We set the time and we create, and they've created an environment where they both know what the rules are. They both know what their responsibilities are. They know when to show up. They need to show up with work gloves or whatever they use, dressed appropriately, and they can then do their work. We set the same sort of container. This is the environment in which we will be mediating. These are the rules. This is what we expect of you. So it's not dissimilar, is it? Oh, and there's that point in the poem where he's like, why do we need this wall? <laughs> it 
It's not like my pine cones are gonna, or my apples are going to jump across and attack your pine cones. And some, some of our clients feel that way. Absolutely. They do. They're like, I don't, no. why do I need all of this structure? Yeah. I mean, or why does, or why do things have to change? Why can't so much of what we've done before as a couple, we're still going to be parents together. Why can't we continue doing much of that into the future too? Yeah. And what I tell people is, you know, well, we lawyers, we're, we're an anxious lot. In fact, I read a study that we're more, we have more anxiety now than dentists. Apparently oh dentists, Lord. apparently dentists were more anxious than we were. And now we're more anxious than dentists. And it's because it, it, we're thinking it, it, about we're, everything that could go wrong. So is this post-COVID or pre-COVID? I think that... That was pre-COVID, so I don't know. Maybe I now the it's... anxiety uh, of a dentist has gone up a little. It might be yeah. hairstylist now. I don't know. Yeah. But um, we're anxious. And so the reason we want to have boundaries is we don't want things to go wrong. You know, and I always tell people, okay, so you, you, you want a parenting plan that is not very rigid. Like the biggest complaint is, oh my gosh, I don't want to have this rigid parenting plan. But, but we, can, we can set a rigid parenting plan, but you can choose to not follow it as long as you both agree. But you want to have some kind of a, a default schedule or default plan with, with boundaries so that if by chance you're not getting along, you have something you can fall back on. The other reason that they need that wall is because the future needs to have some expectations uh, to rein it in, such that their children, such that their funds moving back and forth have some sort of predictability that they did not necessarily need when they were living under the same roof. It's going to be a different world. And when people say, well, we can just, you know, we get along. Uh, good luck with that. Yeah. Well, or, or I always tell people if I'm going to have a problem on a case post judgment, it's going to be when the new girlfriend or boyfriend comes Absolutely. in on the same, right? And so yeah. you need to have, talk it over. What's your boundary around new significant others? Yeah. What's the rules with the kids when there is a new significant other? When are they introduced? How can we agree Boy, that that's appropriate? That one, Sean. Yeah. We never met that one, yeah. Or, or, or how, what are we, how are we going to handle camp? Like, what if we don't agree on camp? How are we going to handle that? You need to have a, a protocol in your agreement that says, if we have a disagreement about an extracurricular activity, this is how we'll address it. Yep. And I don't care how you address well, it, as long as it's clear. This is how I'm going to do it. I always say we want to have a smart agreement. This comes from goal-setting uh, vernacular, but you want it to be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. Otherwise, it's a bad agreement. So if you, if you want to have a smart agreement, so something that is, is, has the specificity enough that we can tell what it means when you've actually accomplished what you're supposed to accomplish. And very often when a disagreement comes up, Clients don't remember what they talked about and what they agreed to, which is why you need the written agreement. And they can go back to it. And what I found is that I've had people come in and sense that something was happening, uh, that, and I've, I read to them the agreement, what they agree to uh, when I, they bring me their MSA. I'm not a lawyer, but I can interpret it from a financial standpoint. And I tell them what it is. And the valence nine out of 10 times comes way down. Oh, well, oh, okay. Oh, I signed it. That's what I agreed to. Huh, okay. 
it's very different I than. Go ahead. Go, no, sorry, no, I just finished. Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say to the to anybody who's listening to this, these are the thoughts that run through the heads of the professionals that are not litigating. These are the kinds of things that we try to help people with when we're not just fighting for everything and, you know, trying to take as much versus the other person is we try to help people do these things better for themselves. I think it's probably a uh, running into the end about now. Well, you know, going back to the poem in each hand, like an old stone savaged armed, he moves in darkness as it seems to me. Not of woods only in the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying. And he likes having thought of it so well, he says again, good fences make good neighbors. I'm Scott Weiner. I'm a psychologist. You can call me in uh, Solana Beach, 619-417-5743. I'm Mark Hill. I'm a financial divorce consultant. Uh, you can go to my website. The company is Pacific Divorce Management, PACDivorce, P-A-C-D-I-V-O-R-C-E.com. And for your mediation and legal needs, I am Sean Weber. You can find me at WeberDisputeResolution.com. That's Weber with one B, WeberDisputeResolution.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Three Wisemen of Divorce, Money, Psych, and Law. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and share with others who may be in a similar place. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and focused on a positive, bright future. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Every family law case is unique, so no legal, financial, or mental health advice is intended during this podcast. If you need help with your specific situation, feel free to schedule a time to speak with one of us for a personal consultation.